Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. For those of you who need some direction as to where Genesis 1 is, page 1. Page 1 is where it is found. Genesis chapter 1. Starting at verse 24, once you have found it and have passed the basket, you can stand for the reading of God's holy word. Starting at verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image like our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heaven and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And so, and it was so. And the Lord saw, God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this is week three in our series called Lament, and if you uh, can do an honest kind of uh, recollection and start thinking through it, I'm praying that you're starting to think and starting to learn about lament and that you are starting to begin to see and hear places that you might have missed lament before. Even for me, as I've been going in just this past week, meeting with Ed and praying with Ed and being in the hospital, there was part of my heart that just lamented in ways that I didn't lament before. I saw brokenness. I felt the pain of others. I've dealt with my own frustration with my own broken body. So there's a real strong undercurrent of lament and sorrow in our world and even in our own lives. I even had someone tell me recently that they've seen the the carol, the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, uh, very differently since we started this this series. And here are the words, here are these words from the third verse that we've probably sung, you've probably sung a hundred different times during the Christmas season, but didn't really think about what you you were singing. Listen to this. No more let sin 
and sorrows grow. Where thorns infest the ground, He comes to make His blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. We live in a world where sin and sorrow grow and where thorns infest the ground. But the hope for us as Christians is that one day, one day the blessings of Christ will flow over the entire world far as the curse is found. And how far is that curse found? The Bible tells us that it is absolutely everywhere. The curse is found everywhere. And what is that curse? The curse is the presence of sin inside us and around us, and that is embedded into the very fabric of the world that we live in. The Bible interprets what is wrong with this world, and it helps us to understand the solution. And even that song helps us to understand what is the solution. Christ, his blessings are going to to flow as far as the curse is found. And ultimately, we are going to understand that sin, death, disease, the broken relationships, and the tears do not have the final word. The Bible said it this way in the book of Revelation. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I have died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. He's in control. So our world is full, filled with with pain and tears. And that's why I said to cry is human. Crying is what we all do. But Christians lament. That lament is different. Christian lament feels and expresses the sorrow of our broken humanity. But it does so because in a way that it understands that what lies underneath All of our pain is sin, and it knows ultimately what is the solution for the pain, the sorrow, the fears, everything that breaks and tears our world. Christian lament grieves what ultimately causes our pain, and it longs for the day when the blessings of Christ are going to flow as far as the curse is found. So lament is not only useful for us to express sorrow. It's not just a tool to say, man, I've got this pain and I need to get it out. It is the means by which God reminds us of the brokenness of our world. It it would be a mistake to just think of lament as just another category for expressing our grief that you immediately feel. Lament can be our teacher. Part of the reason why I think there's so many laments in the the book of Psalms is to remind people that much of life is lived in a minor key. Even though we would love to sing songs, you know, kind of fist pump kind of songs and, and get that stuff going, much of our life is, though, lived in a minor key, isn't it? The pain, the sorrow, the struggling... There's there's many different kinds of struggling. And because of that, God can still be trusted through all of it. 
Lament helps us see, see through a, a biblical lens, a God-centered lens, as we wrestle through pain, as we wrestle through loss. It reminds us about the presence of suffering in the world, and it teaches us how to interpret it. So by praying and reading these laments, our heart is tuned, even tuned to the pain of another person. As, as we prayed for Ed, did anybody feel their heart tuned to the pain of Ed and his family? There's a, I get it. My heart is broken and I understand the, the undercurrent of sin in this world and I am broken with you, but yet I am holding on to hope. And I, I want to pray with you to, to rest in that Christ is enough in the midst of this brokenness. We also need to remember that there are points, as we saw last week, as we saw the progression of the children of Israel, that there's points where God says, enough. Enough. This Sunday, for those of you who follow kind of a secular calendar or even kind of a religious calendar, this Sunday is called Sanctity of Life Sunday. And it's Monday is also, kids know because they have the day off, but do they really understand? What is tomorrow? Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And uh, so we are going to be talking this morning about how lament re uh, really relates to these two dates on the calendar, as well as a few other issues. And I want our hearts our hearts to be tuned to hear the groan of a broken world and hurting people. I want us to, I want to see our hearts tuned to the brokenness connected to the devaluing of life that's found in our culture. And that's where this message is going to end for us to kind of tune our hearts to the brokenness in, in the lives around us and in our culture. But in order for us to understand how, how we get there, we've got to kind of get underneath and kind of above this question of what is life? And so we're going to be asking the question, what does it mean? What does it mean for us to be an image bearer? Because we've got that here in, in Genesis, right? I'm going to create them in my image. So we're going to bear the image of God. So first of all, I want you to see this point. Bearing God's image is central and it is unique to all of humanity. All of humanity. Genesis 1 is, is, helping, is a helpful starting point because it records the creation of man and woman and it identifies why that moment is so incredibly important. We not only see that Adam and Eve were created by God, by God's hand, but that they were created in the image of God. On the sixth day, God, God created all the living creatures, all those, those camouflage ones, those neat ones, those ones that seem to morph with when they walk into something purple, they turn purple. All those things, God created them, and God filled this entire world with these amazing creatures. But the crowning display of God's creative power comes with the creation of man and woman. 
The language around their creation is unique because they are unique from the rest of creation. Let us, you hear this dialogue God's having? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then he says, let's give them dominion. So God created man in his own image, in the, as if you didn't hear it the first time. The, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he, he said, be fruitful, be multiply, have dominion over all that I've created. And so each of these verses are critical. It's important. In verse 26, the triune God, the us, says, make mankind in our image, in our likeness, after God's own likeness. Human beings are given a very unique and exclusive authority over creation. Image and dominion and rule are linked together. Verse 27, the concept of image is repeated for emphasis. Male and female are are identified in order to emphasize that the image of God is embedded in both men and women. Please note that being an image bearer is linked to being created by God. And it doesn't matter what your plumbing is. You are both unique and special because God had His hand in creating you. In verse 28, Adam and Eve are blessed and commanded to be fruitful. They're commanded to multiply. They're commanded to fill the earth. They're commanded to have dominion over the earth. They are, in effect, to do in their world what God had done in His. You do like what I have done. So, Genesis 1 establishes a very important foundation for our our understanding of humanity and life. It identifies God as the creator and clarifies that mankind is unique from the rest of creation by virtue of what it means to be made in the image of God. Nothing else, nothing else. I don't care how much you love your pets. Nothing else in creation reflects the image of God like man and woman. Nothing. There is something special about humanity, and it is connected to this Amago Dei, the image of God. Secondly, we see that the image of God makes human life valuable even after the fall. If you read the rest of the story of Genesis, it, it, it is only two chapters later. A short, brief, there was a beautiful Garden of Eden moment, but a few chapters later, Adam and Eve disobey God. Sin enters the world, and they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and their sons, one of their sons, kills his own brother. Humanity is broken at its core because of the very presence of sin. However, the image of God is not lost. The fall may be marred by by sin, but it does not totally negate the reality of that image. In in Genesis 9, verse 6, 
there's a command given to Noah after God's judgment through the flood. God has established some ethical parameters related to life. And notice how image is connected to life. Listen to this. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. There's an, an ethical foundation for even capital punishment that is connected to the very image of God. In other words, murder is wrong because there is something intrinsically valuable about the life of a human being. And that life is unique from the rest of creation. That's why euthanizing a family pet is always very difficult. It might be hard. There might be tears. But it is fundamentally morally different than euthanizing a human. The reason is because the dog, the pet, is not made in the image of God. Yes, creation, but not does not have the imprint of our God. Thirdly, the image of God provides the foundation for all human relationships. The New Te- in the New Testament, we see a further uh, extension and application of this, this idea, this concept of image. In James chapter 3, it provides a really strong warning against the misuse of tongue. And in, and in the context of that warning, we see James use the image of God as the reason for even prohibiting cursing. Listen to this. With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. He goes on to say, these things ought not be so. Why? Because we're created in the image of God. Cursing people is wrong because it violates the sanctity of God's imprint on that particular human being. So even, I, I'll go even, not even cursing, like calling down a curse, you know, go to H-E double hockey sticks kind of curse, but even the way that we gossip, right, has such a way of destroying the image of God in that person. How we use our tongue to talk about another person created in the image of God. So when you have private conversations with your friend, your spouse, your children about another person, remember Remember that that person is created in the very image of God. And it should not be done. Talking about them, demeaning them. Whether it's physical murder or verbal assault, human beings are not permitted to treat the image of God as if it is unvaluable, unimportant. Rather, they need to treat them as every person as sacred and honorable. Image is something that is beyond, beyond all of us. Fourthly, we see this. The image of God is ultimately restored through Christ. Restored through Christ. What was lost in the fall will one day be restored through the return and the reign of Christ. We live in that strange time of the... uh, 
it is happening now, but it is not most fully experienced yet. We live in it. Christ is ruling and he's reigning, but there's still this presence in this body of sin, right? We all feel it. We feel it with Ed. We feel it with our struggles. We feel it in our relationships. We feel it in our children. We feel it at work. There's this, ah, yet. We live in this tension. But one day, one day, all things will be restored and perfect. Jesus will, he has come to redeem us from the effects of sin. And one of the tragic results is that while the image of God still exists in all human beings, it is broken. Broken. So the purpose of the cross, of Christ coming and dying, the purpose of the cross was to set in motion a redemptive process to set in motion a redemptive process by which human beings could be restored into the image, the full image, and the full likeness of God and His glory. So I say set in motion because it is in a very real and clear sense in the Bible that when a person receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, some aspect of this restoration is beginning. It's starting. Jesus is starting to make all things new incrementally, more and more. And more, the more that we obey, the more that we follow Christ, the more we become like our Creator. Now, this restoration does not make Christians more valuable, right? Just because you suddenly become a Christian doesn't mean like, psh, pagans. And you can kind of puff up and just say, look at me. I'm more like Christ. Suckers? No, no. What it does mean is that we are able to taste something beyond just broken humanity. It should create, like salt creates a thirst, right? In some way, when we become more like Christ, it should create a a hunger and a thirst. And we, we see that there's something beyond our broken humanity. We know that underneath humanity is the image of God and above it is the restoration. The restoration of the image of God. And we long for that. We long for it in our communities, in our culture, in our government, in our world. We long for the complete restoration and healing of our world. We can see it even in a few places. 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, we are... God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. You hear the not yet? But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Or Colossians 3, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Or Romans 8, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. These New Testament verses help us to understand that the gospel seeks to solve the very problem that we have with the image of God. Through Christ, the trajectory of the image of God restoration is set. 
Christianity interprets humanity by giving all human life value, by identifying a God-ordained pathway towards restoration. For your, your neighbors, your friends, your family, and you look at their brokenness, the only way to have wholeness and healing is through this God-ordained pathway, receiving Christ, believing in Him, and little by little experiencing little tastes of partial images of that restoration even in your day-to-day life. Fifth, there is a God-given and inherent value in every person because of the image of God. Every person. Hear that? Every person. To be made in the image of God means that means more than just human beings are creative and have a will or are more intelligent than the rest of the created order. To be made in the image of God means, means more than human beings are superior to anything else in the earth and that we have simply been given dominion. To be made in the image of God means that there is something uniquely special about the very essence of being human. Image-bearing certainly involves thinking and ruling and leading and creating and loving, but those are just merely expressions of what it truly means to be human. God made humans valuable. It's irrevocable. He he made them as his image-bearers. It's permanent. It's indelible ink upon you. It is part of the very essence of humanity. Human beings are valuable because the image of God is valuable. That is why we worship, why we encourage you. Be here, do not forsake the gathering together. Why? Why do we want you to come here? Not for attendance sake, even though we take attendance. Why do we encourage you to to come here? Because God is valuable. So when, when we notice that you're gone, it's, it's in some way your heart is saying, God's not as valuable as, as you say he is, or as he says he is. We're saying, no, God is valuable. Therefore, since he has created you, you are valuable. You are valuable. His imprint is on you. But in our culture, what do we see? We see a a contrasting and culturally dominant view in our world that does not value humanity. So it's no wonder that if a person does not believe in an awesome, holy creator, when they they don't understand the problem of sin in our world, when they don't understand the power of redemption, and they have no appreciation for where even history itself is headed, this person will likely view life through just a pragmatic, functional lens of humanity. All my life is for is gratification, enjoying love in whatever form I can find it, It is about eating and drinking and being merry. It serves a function to make me happy. But the image of God in those cases have no significance. 
for a person who does not believe in God. This person will have a different view of life and its value because of their view of God. So here's the last thing about viewing the image of God. Those who believe that God is our creator, we ought to value life in all of its forms. Especially Christians. Brother, sister, you should have a certain value of every human life above everybody else in this world. You should view life as precious and tender, no matter where they stand in a theological spectrum, a political spectrum, or color of their skin, or what they look like, or sound like. It doesn't matter. Every life for a Christian is intrinsically valuable. So those who believe that God is our creator, who understand the concept of image bearing, who know about the ravages of sin, who believe that that believe in Christ as their Savior, Redeemer, and Restorer, ought to be the most passionate, the most passionate advocates for life. What's more, we ought to lament when value of the human life is diminished or destroyed. Our heart should be broken. Those who understand what is underneath and above and beyond our humanity ought to celebrate the intrinsic God-ordained value of human life. And we ought to lament any kind of loss. Being an image bearer is far more fundamental than we even know or we feel. And lament can help us to wake up to the reality of what is wrong in our world. It It can shake out us out of our cultural slumber And remind us how important being an image bearer really is. And it can send a strong message to to the world that there is something more here than just issues related to life. Lament tunes our heart. Tunes our heart to how God sees the world. Lament can serve as a great teacher or even just an amazing wake-up call. So we've talked about this concept of the image of God and we've, we, we can apply it to a number of areas, both related to lament and to humanity. So how should we think and how should we pray as we interpret our culture through this lens of lament? We're going to start off by looking at three. Now, these are just kind of ways to help you think, but it's not limited to, to these three. There are, as many people in the, this world, there are that many ways that we should be lamenting. But these are three big categories, and I'm going to start off with, with one, abortion. It is estimated that there are 4,400 babies aborted every day in the United States. Just try to get your head around that number. Since Roe v. Wade in 1973, it has been believed that over 58 million babies have been killed. 
And while it's encouraging to show, to see that abortion rates have been declining since 2010 at about 12%, the fact that so many, so much innocent blood has been shed in our land is tragic. It is, it is devastating. But the problem is not only abortion, but its effects as well, right? For every baby that has been aborted, there's a woman. And there's a man who even today deal with the regrets, the guilt, and the weight of that decision. In preparing this message, I came to understand that... uh, that the number of people within the church who describes themselves as post-abortive is much higher than I realized. Since 70% of those who have abortions profess that they have some kind of religious background, there's a very good chance that there is a number of you hearing this message this morning who are hearing this and going, that's me. That's me. Or if it's nobody here, it's somebody that you know very close to you. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus died for every single sin that separates us from God, including abortion. Every single sin. I want to assure you that where sin abounded, grace abounds all the more. That's good news. I want to assure you that God's love, of of God's love, of His compassion, I want to assure you of His forgiveness. I want us to know that the image of God means that Not just that life begins at conception, but that every two-celled zygote bears the image of God and is important. Even, Even if it could not survive outside the womb on its own, even if he or she has no really discernible body parts, and even if it has no functionality in this world, it still has image. Why? Because image is connected to being, to, uh, to divine imprint, and to something that is beyond what happens here. So I want us to lament this way. Hear this. Let's lament the millions of children who were never born. Let us lament the, the, the shedding of innocent blood in our land. Let us lament the moment when a mother decides that her body is more valuable than a baby's body. Let's lament the trafficking of convenience or expediency or even the body parts of aborted children. Let us lament the pain and the regret that some have to battle with every single day. Let's lament a culture for which this issue has become far too much, far too common, and far too tolerable. 
Abortion is not the only thing. Racism. The devaluing of image happens not only in a womb, but also in a culture when one person feels, thinks, or acts as if another person is less valuable. When it comes to racism, that happens because someone comes to believe overtly or subtly that there is something superior about one's race, skin color, religion, whatever you want, over another. What happens in racism is that some value other than the image of God becomes a foundational value. Pride, fear, control, plain out ignorance, greed, or any other number of issues eclipse the very value of the image of God. In 1965, Martin Luther King Jr. uh, gave a sermon about the image of God in a sermon called The American Dream. This might kind of poke at us, but listen to this. The image of God is the idea that all men have something within them that God has injected. Not that they have substantial unity with God, but that every man has a capacity to have fellowship with God. That this gives him a uniqueness. It gives him worth. It gives him dignity. And we must never forget this as a nation. There are no gradations in the image of God. Every man from a treble white to a base black is significant on God's keyboard. Precisely because every man is made in the image of God. One day we will learn that. Do you still see it today? Where we struggle with this as a nation? As individuals? As a church? We will know one day that God made us to live together as brothers and to respect the dignity and worth of every man. This is why we must fight segregation and with all of our nonviolent might. Now, if the church of Jesus understands this theological reality of bearing the image of God, if we really understand this and grasp it and want to embrace it, if we understand that our common problem in this world is sin, is pride and and greed and fear and you name it, and if if we know that the gospel is the only thing that can unite us, then the church of all places, this church, hear that, this church should be the place with beautiful, Jesus-magnifying oneness. Oneness. And those who have tasted the beauty of the gospel, of the gospel should be more compassionate, more forgiving, more intentional in diversity, and more passionate for racial reconciliation than anyone else in this world. Monsieur Day Church, we should be the people who are pursuing diversity and oneness and beauty more than anyone else. That should be our greatest desire. So let's lament the scourge of racism that has been a part of our nation's history. 
Let's lament that it wasn't that long ago when schools and buses and restaurants and bathrooms were segregated. It's not that long ago. Let's lament hurtful words and oppressive behavior and even community rejection. Let's lament the distorted view of those who are really valuable. Let's lament the pain that lies beneath the surface that nobody really wants to talk about. Let us lament the walls of separations, the misunderstandings, and the guardedness that we all feel. I'll tell you the first time when the Black Lives Movement started moving, everything inside of me goes, are you freaking serious? Serious? I, I love... I. I love Mike Archibald. He's a friend. But, but it goes beyond that, doesn't it? Just because you have a friend that, who has different skin tone than you does not mean that you are inclusive and loving and embracing and that you don't struggle with pride or fear or greed or anything else. That there are layers and layers and layers and layers beneath it. And we need to lament those things. A friendship is not enough. Well, it might be a start, but that's not it. So can we lament the external cultural forces, the economic realities, the institutional biases that exist in our culture, and whether they're in our culture or whether it's just a perception, can we lament those things? And let us long for the day when with one voice, one voice, we will glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Abortion, racism. What about disability? This is different from abortion and racism in many ways. And yet I want to include it because it is very relevant to this topic of bearing the image of God. It's different, of course, in that abortion and racism are wrong and having a disability is not. But I want you to tune your heart into this issue as well. Remember, image is about divinely given value not function. By definition, a person with a disability and a family affected with a disability have a function that is less than ideal. There's day-to-day struggles. There's disappointments. There were dreams that are crushed and now there's different things that we've got to do that other normal families don't have to do. That is why the word, what the word disability means. Whether it is a child or an adult, to have a disability means that you are just functionally different. But while that may be true, a disabled person is no less valuable. Why? Because their value does not exist on function. Their ultimate value rests on the very imprint of God upon them. Once again, who should understand this better? Christians. No one should understand this any better 
we should see something different when we see a disabled person. We should see past the disability and, and past the differences between us and them. We should see them as a person who is made precious, knit together in the womb, and, and made in the very image of God. And we should celebrate the imprint of God in them that surpasses any functional gap. And if they are a follower of Jesus, we should long for the day when disabilities will be no more. So let us lament the brokenness in our created world that causes disabilities. Let us lament the, the frustrating limitations and the daily challenges that are a part of a disabled person or their family's life. Let us lament the rejection that they might feel the glances, the questioning eyes. Let's lament the distance that a, a di disability needlessly creates because this person is different. And let us lament the lack of concern and sensitivity that brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers often feel. Friends, to bear the image of God means that there is something about the very being of God in a very real and alive person. I don't have time, obviously, to press into the issue of orphans, into immigrants, into the elderly, into the incarcerated, or the poor. But I could, and you should. What we believe about the image of God affects how we view every human being. Christian lament helps us interpret this world. It, it sees a thing, but it sees the thing underneath the thing and above the thing. And when it comes to humanity, Christians see something, or at least we should see something different when we see a human being. And if we know we should see something different and we don't, or if we don't feel something that we should, we need to use the grace of lament to tune our hearts to long for the blessings of Christ to flow as far as the curse is found. So what we're going to do, friends, as we wrap up this we're not going to quickly come to the Lord's Supper. We're going to get there. But we're going to spend some extended time in prayer and confession. We're going to pray silently. We're going to pray out loud. However God lays it on your heart to, to pray. And we are going to really struggle through, you know, these issues about the image of God and how you might be devaluing the image of God. And quite honestly... It could be more than those people who perform abortions or those people who struggle with racism or those people who are struggling with disability. It could be how you view the person sitting right next to you. God has imprinted the very image of God on every man, woman, 
and child and two-celled zygote. So we're going to spend some time in extended prayer and confession. Then I'm going to lead you up into a, a prayer of confession. You're going to hear the assurance of pardon, the good news, and then we're going to come joyfully to the Lord's Supper. So let's spend some time praying, and if you just need to couple up with a person next to you, do that. If you see, if there's somebody that you have devalued the image of God in them, and they're in this room, no better time like the present. For we've been given the work of reconciliation. If it's somebody that you need to make a phone call to, step out. Confess. Do the work of reconciliation. Value the image of God in them. Work towards restoration of all things, even now. So let's be still before God, praying, confessing, lamenting, silently or out loud. But let's go before God.